get to really develop people and change people's like perception of what they could think about their life. People don't even really and truly like know what they want to do with their life until somebody show them and actually bring it out of them. You know, you can't be a full self with everybody until somebody actually brings that out. Welcome to Black Educators Matter. This is more than a moment. It's a movement. Hey, it's Danielle. Welcome to Black Educators Matter. Our goal is to share the stories of 500 Black educators. We will celebrate the impact and achievements, learn from the lessons and challenges, and highlight the important roles that educators play in all of our lives. I'm excited to welcome today's guest to our show. As a do now, please tell us your name, your role in education, and answer the question, why do Black educators matter? Okay, my name is Woody Randall. Forgot the second question. <laughs> what Randy is your Woody. what's your role in education? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's my role in education? Uh, senior advisor, uh, senior administrator, teacher, coach. Yeah, I wear a lot of hats in the building. And then on top of that, I guess you would say the reason why Black educators matter it would be because one, you don't see enough of us in classrooms often, especially Black men. And I think one. Like young black men are one the foundation of America. So one, I think just like seeing us and never a better representation of us in classrooms, it just looks and sounds and and it, it should be better. Now you said that you wear quite a few different hats. You said senior advisor, teacher, coach. What do you teach? Currently, I'm teaching Spanish. I taught pre-cal, algebra two, English three, algebra two. I think that's that's it. That's my bucket. So you a teacher, teacher? Yeah, I teach, teach. Like, <laughs> and you said that you not, are a coach. What do no you shade, coach? No PE, no shade, no PE, no shade, no PE. <laughs> <laughs> but you do got a physical aspect because you said coach. So what do you coach? Yeah, I do coach. I coach football. I coach the receivers. Call plays on offense, and I'm the head coach of track. So I coach every event in track, pretty much in all all the events in track. Yeah. All right. So where are you from, yeah. Woody? Born and raised in New Orleans, Louisiana. After Katrina, I moved to Atlanta, so I finished high school. I was you know, Marietta High School in Atlanta, Georgia. So if you remember your Louisiana upbringing, K-8 through experience, what was that like for you growing up in New Orleans? Ooh, I would say K-8 through growing up in New Orleans was very challenging. Just one, the city itself is not, I hate to say it like this, but the city itself is not a educational, education-friendly city. Uh, more than just like tourist attractions, more than like music vibe, sex, alcohol, drugs, those things is what is like really and truly represented. So like education is not one of those things you see and hear often. So like if you're not one of those kids who absolutely want to do that, it wouldn't be pushed more or less. So like that's the visual visual of what you see. And granted, I mean, my mom didn't play, so I had to go to school and get a good grade. So yeah. Did my you, schooling was definitely different. Yeah. Did you have black teachers at all? I had, yes, I definitely had some black teachers, man, some good elementary black teachers. Ms. Ozo was probably like, I see Ms. Ozo this year in, in Subway. And she said, what's wrong Randall? Like, coming by government name is kind of threw me off. And I looked at it and I was like, oh, my God, I reverted back to, like, literally in third grade, Ms. Ozo. And I just thought about, like, all the different things that she said then that I'm doing now. And it's, like, crazy. Like, oh, she's like, wait, you're an educator? Oh, my God, that is amazing. You know, so it's just, it's it's, it's great to see, like, teachers that I did have also be excited to see me in the role that they are also in. So when did Katrina happen? 
That was during your high school years? Katrina was my sophomore year of high school. Do you remember all of that? I remember all of it, actually. It was rough. One, I didn't have the time to, like, I, I don't think I had the time to really, like, be sad or, I guess you would say, think about it or be vulnerable in those moments. Uh, just because, one, my mom was really sad. She lost everything. My little, my little brother is, is extremely sad. He lost everything. So, one, being the older in the house, I kind of, like, okay, guys, let's just be, you know, figure it out. We're going to be happy. We're going we gonna to go from that road. And I took that seat early on in life. Didn't have a problem with it. Just because, I mean, I don't have an issue with it. But high school was different. Going from New Orleans to going from a school of 600 people to being at a high school of 4,000 students. That is completely different. So imagine going from a completely rural black, black school, nothing but black students. You may have one Spanish-speaking kid in the school to like a classroom full of like every race, Asians, Africans, white. Like, it was definitely a culture shock. Definitely a culture shock. So how was that for you having to process like dealing with Katrina, then having to process like a move to a new state and then having the culture shock of being in this classroom and it looks different than any classroom you had ever been in prior? I think the my my mental process in, in that time was just was like just take advantage of every situation. I think like one thing my grandfather was a was a, a a great guy, right? He read everything and I think like I listened to him. I was a sponge of in, in life. Um and I think he said like Woody life is gonna throw you a lot of obstacles. Like a lot a lot of them. And I I heard that a, a lot through life. It's gonna throw you a lot of obstacles, right? So I just looked at like, oh Katrina's another obstacle, like, okay, what is it gonna bring from it? I'm in school with all of these different people, like, okay, what is it gonna bring from it, right? So looking at it from that space, I was just like take advantage of the situation. I took advantage of the situation, wind up going to Marietta, graduating the top, graduated high, got a scholarship to top colleges. Like, it just, it was actually, like, I think, like, the transition, the process, and my mental process, and it just was, like, take advantage of every situation. That's a great perspective to have. So what led you to college after that? So now you're in a new state, all of this transition, you decide to go to college. Did you go with a declared major? Yes, I did. I went with a declared major, which is funny because high school in New Orleans, like I started high school in New Orleans, I always knew I wanted to go to college. I just didn't know like the route itself. I love running. That was like a skill I've always had. But it, it was just, I never did it. I never played sports in New Orleans. I just didn't. It just wasn't, it wasn't my motivational factor, right? I just, one, I also, I had, a, I had two open heart surgeries. So I couldn't play sports. Wait a minute. You so can't just throw that in. When did you have two open heart surgeries? I had my first open heart surgery at nine, and then I had my second one at 11. So, yeah, sports was like x out, especially like full-on collision sports. I had to play that. and I didn't get to, a chance to do that because I got too high school or middle school, rather. So it was actually a choice to want to do it and like actually like a, a fight and a battle to like get doctors to sign off and going through all those stress tests and stuff like that. So like, my stress level, I think I deal with stress really and truly well because I've been dealing with stress since I was nine, taking stress tests since I was nine. So it's just like I can deal with like high intense situations a little bit better than most, I think, based on those scenarios. You had two open heart surgeries and Hurricane Katrina by the time you were a teenager. I think you take stress better than most. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was 15 before all of that happened. Just 15. 
Uh, just a little pop out in the streets. <laughs> shout out to your grandfather for giving you those words Man. of wisdom early on because it's like those are the keys that help us make it through this thing called life when you receive that early and you don't know when you got to activate it. You don't know when it's going to come into play. That stuff is starting to replay back now. Like all those talks and stuff now is starting to replay back. Like, it's a good thought. So what was your major and where did you go to college? I majored in accounting, minored in education recreation at Baylor, grade school, D, Baylor, stick them bears, baby. Then I got my master's in sports psych and then double sports psych psych master's. I kind of should have did another year so I could get like the whole full on be Dr. Woody, you know, but <laughs> didn't really, I, I was over school, you know, after reading and writing a 30 page, 35 page paper, I was like, yeah, I'm over this at this point. So I stopped there, but. Baylor, obviously, was like great schools. I think I learned a lot throughout those processes in time. So how did an accounting degree and a sports psychology major and a double major, what was the other What was the other sports, master's? Sports psych and then regular psychology. Okay, come on, psychology. I got an undergrad mm-hmm. psychology degree. Come on, psychology. How did all of I, this... I, I, look, I got the junior year and wanted to switch. That's why I got my master's in psychology, right? Yeah. Because... I took, I got to my senior, well, my junior senior in college at Baylor was like, that's dope upper level electives, like dope, like classes that you'll never think about, like death and dying, like the art of uh, psychology, stuff like that. Class you would never think about. So my mind started like expanding to the world, like, man, I should have did this. But my advisor was dope. Katie, I had nine hours. She was like, what are you not about to switch and not get this degree? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you, you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah, you're right. So I stayed in it. Shout out to advisors. But you went back in <laughs> grad yeah, school and got, and got that psych yeah. background. How did all of that, though, lead you here? What led you to begin a career in education? How did all of that lead to senior advisor, teacher, coach, Spanish teacher? Where did the Spanish come from? I learned Spanish in school. Like, I always wanted to be a fluent Spanish speaker. So, like, just the simple fact of, one, knowing that this is, like, everybody talk about English. Spanish is the biggest speaking, like the biggest language in the world. Twenty-two countries in the world that speak Spanish, and you can go literally anywhere and speak that, and somebody's gonna know what you're saying. So, I think just knowing that and having that layer on you is just better for you, as well as it's better for your pocket. Having that layer, learning in high school, learning in college, then also being around a lot of fluent Spanish speakers, I got into it this year. So I was like, okay, cool. I guess the senior role, my I got into this the teaching role. I did not want to be a teacher. Absolutely despised it. I hated it, actually. I didn't, I didn't want, never saw Woodrow as a teacher. I didn't even see myself as a coach, honestly. I went to a practice one day. I, I loved, like, being an athlete. I did love being an athlete. I just didn't, I never saw myself as coach or as teacher or as senior administrator, none of that. But being in those roles, I then it took on and had it just, like, went hit the ground full speed with it. I went to a practice one day. I saw some kids doing something wrong. And I, as a person, I just, I feel like I'm doing a disservice if I know how to do it correct and I'm watching you do it wrong. So in that process, and I'm like, I hey little, hey little bro, let me show you how to do this real quick. And then I give him like three little quick steps. And I realized early on, you can't tell a person, you can't overload a person's brain with everything. Just give them some key points that they can move on, like an act step. You know. What I mean? So just like then, I took that in coaching. Been in that process of coaching. Somebody actually, one of my coaches, my kids' parents actually filled out my job application for me to get the teaching job. So I went to it. I got my first teaching job. Didn't even know I was on the interview. I went after practice. Let me tell you what I don't have. Went after practice. I don't slip, slippers. 
football shorts and a t-shirt. Did not think I was going there to interview at all. I came right after practice. Coach was like, hey, man, I want to talk to you about some track stuff. So I was like, bet. Cool. Come up, pull up. He's like, yeah, he got the job. I was like, what job? What are you talking about? He's like, you got the job? You know he was applying for a job? I was like, no. So I, I wound up hitting up Miss Cynthia. Miss Cynthia was dope, man. That was my, she was my boss for like three years, three, four years. Great, 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 great boss. I hit up. I was like, Miss Cynthia, you did this? She was like, yeah, I'll put in a letter of recommendation for you. Boom. Went from there. Got enrolled into teaching with special ed. I started in special ed. Great. I think that like opened my eyes to everything itself. Just like seeing how far some students are and like one, knowing that they have to expect and do the exact same things as everybody else. So like starting there, kind of made me say, okay, yeah, Woody, you know, there's a lot more out here that you could do and, like, help out with. So in, in Texas, I realized this is in my community, so I went back to Atlanta. I tried to teach their kind of bumped heads with, I guess you would say, higher-ups because I guess they thought I wanted a position, which I didn't want the position. I just wanted to actually help the students itself. So I went back home, and I was just like, man, New Orleans is not, like, education is not what is presented not ever was presented like being a, a educated guy is, is actually like frowned upon almost they call you a schoolboy most people in the in the world use schoolboy as a good term here is like almost negative like oh you went to school like you got degrees it's not like a good thing you went to jail you got four baby mamas and you know that's that's the expected thing for a black male you know what i'm saying and that's like sad to say that you know what i mean and that's the normal whereas like having all of those different avenues like Katrina, having the people in my life and going through all those different things, I think, yeah, while meant to being educated here in New Orleans. So. so how long have you been teaching? Going on seven years. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Big dog. Big dog. You a pro big in the dog. game. You've been here. Yeah. So yeah, 23 in the game. Started out 23, <laughs> 31. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So... <laughs> Are you in high school teaching these subjects, or did you also have any elementary school experience, too? Now, this is what I will say about teaching. I knew one thing. I was not going to the babies. Okay, elementary, I my kid, I will definitely teach all day. But little babies all day, I coach them. <laughs> I much rather... Speak regular, if that's a, a basic term. I want everybody to understand what I'm saying. Speak regular, meaning like I want to talk to you and I want you to understand exactly what I'm saying. So that way you can move on what I'm saying. I don't want you to talk to me. Your mind will wonder and you're asking 30 more questions. No, I want you to ask, this is what I need you to do. This is how I need you to do it. And, this is, and if we need some help in the process, I'll help you out. You know? <laughs> so I taught in middle school. I tried middle school, 7th and 8th grade. Ooh, I did. Ooh, it wasn't for me. I, I finished it. I'm a finisher. I'm going to finish the deal. But I knew for a fact they were not for me. <laughs> I went to high school. was for me. I started with the juniors. I love juniors. And I was like, man, I kind of want to see this step in and out the door. And I think that's why I love being with the seniors now. And I think that's also one of the things I kind of like. I'm always, I tell my wife about that all the time. I'm like, I be sad. I, I sit in a sad state sometimes because, especially for black men, I see their step in and out the door. So I can see your negative steps. I can see your bad, your bad choices before you even make them. So one, in my seat now as a senior in ministry, like a senior role, I, I, I'm trying to assist you and tell you like, and I love being in season. I'm trying literally almost like, 
forcefully grabbing him. Like, don't do it. No, that's not the route. No, go this way. Go this way. So that's why I think I, I, I love being in the senior land. I love being in the high school land because you get to really develop people and change people's, like, perception of what they could think about their life. People don't even really and truly, like, know what they want to do, what they like to somebody show them and actually bring it out of them, you know? You can't be a full self with everybody until somebody actually brings that out. So I try to do that with all senior land adults. Does a shared sense of identity and connectedness exist between you and your black students? And if so, how did you recognize it? I would say yes. Just because, one, I think I put myself in issues often just because I was a student at a point. I've, I've heard teachers say, oh, you're not going to do this. Oh, you're not going to amount to this. And I've heard two teachers say, oh, you're going to be great and you're going to also do this thing. So, one, I think being able to, one, relate to them as well as being personable of the student itself, like I think, me being in my role, I can I can relate as well as reach that student a little bit better just because I'm figuring out who the student is so that I can't educate the student so I can figure out what it's in need to learn and want, you know, so in life. So I think that approach is actually helping me. So I, I think me being in the seat of putting myself in their roles often and all the time, I think helps out. What has been the most impactful moment you've had as an educator thus far? Last year... I would say it was a kid, well, not a kid, a young man. Um, he graduated last year, proud of man. Actually, it's two of them, two of them. It was two. One, I would say, I don't know if, I, I guess I see his name. Sheldon, man, Sheldon was a great kid. Didn't want to finish high school. Let's just say that. He didn't want to finish it. He didn't really read well. But what I will say is this, Sheldon worked hard. And, like, he listened. He was in my advisory with the Baylor boys, Baylor Pack boys. So, one, like, he just listened. I think, like, Whatever I was saying, you know, in those times, like, he was listening. I was like, I said, there's two things that you need to know how to do in the world. Read and count. Like, I understand, yes, you need to do a lot of things other outside of those things, but in order for you to really process what's happening and for you to not be lost, you need to know how to read and count. And those were, like, things that actually people, like, really struggle with and don't know how to say, like, I can't read and I can't literally count. And, like, from that, like, having small groups and saying, bro, I'll help you out and going from there, like, it just changed. His whole narrative of everything changed. His grades shot up. And people never understood. And I didn't really and truly pay attention to like I really and truly looked. And I'm like, dang, my dude went hard. Graduate. He didn't even think about it. He wasn't even, he literally was not talking about graduation. He was then and now persuading other people to graduate. And that wasn't nothing like outside of me just saying, man, you just need to know how to read and count. Not me forcefully saying, hey, man, do this, do this, do that, do this, do that. And outside of that, I'm Clayton, man, one of my other dudes, Clayton, I would say Clayton probably, last year, he he, he kind of, he hit me. I didn't really think of, like, all the different ways that you connect with the kids. I'm very intentional. I'm like, I think you smile to people, they smile back. If you're friendly to people, they'll be friendly back to you, regardless of their state. You never know what your warm gesture may do for a person. You never know their person's date or how that person's day is going. So, one, I try to be the same person consistently every day for my students or with, my, with anybody I deal with every day. So that way you always know you get in the same way, regardless. And that dude was literally here. He had sent me a text, like, it was late one night. He was like, man, Coach, I was, just, I was just so happy you came to me. And you're the only reason I literally come to school every day. I was like, dang. That kind of hit me differently. Because like, it wasn't a kid that, like, talks loud, loud. wasn't one of them, like, saying, you know, you would never know that that's, I would never know that that's how you felt unless he sent me that text. And I won. Granted, I know you, I know he fooled me. I know he liked me as a teacher. I know he liked me as a person. 
but I just didn't know that like my myself, my feet that I was doing, like the stuff that I was doing with it, that was that impactful to him, you know. So that was kind of like a, a a big reward and a kind of a blind sight. This is just one of many stories, and we want to keep the conversation going. Follow us on Instagram at blackeducators.matter. Visit us online at www.blackeducatorsmatter.org. Help build the movement by joining our Patreon. Now, let's get back to our Project 500 podcast. I'm so glad that he sent you that text because the impact yeah, that know. educators make sometimes you don't know. You don't know. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate the way that you broke that down. The two things you need to know how to do is read and count. A lot of times in schools, the messaging to students and parents is about test scores. You got to score this. It needs to look like this. But no, because if you know how to read and if you know how to count, and if you don't know fine. how to count and you say, I don't know how to count, now we know how to help you. Exactly. You know, like, oh, come on, steps. So speaking of steps, let's talk about steps. Mm-hmm. Okay. I got a question for you based on everything that you have seen. And I know you handle stress well, so I know you're going to handle mm-hmm. this question well. Okay. What is the state of education in Black America and how did we get here? Ooh. Now, I will honestly say I have this conversation often, and I kind of rub people the wrong way by my the seat that I sit in. And I don't know how to do anything but be honest, so I'm going to be honest, right? The state that a black America is in in education is is like a horrible state because, one, it's, it's frowned upon. It's like we don't. It's not highlighted in our, in our world. It's not highlighted in our community. It's not one of those things that you're celebrated almost all. Now, granted, if you're if you're educated African American, it's like, oh, you 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 want to be one of them smart smart person. You you smart. You you think you're too good. You want to be this. You want to be with them. No, that is how you function. That's how you understand the world itself. Like when you really look at like us as a people, one, we were the first people to read. If you actually read, like and went back and read, we taught the world to read. So like. Knowing that one factor alone, like we taught people to read and that was taken away from us because one, obviously reading is going to teach you something in the world itself. So from there, oh, I'm going to give you something that is highlighted to you. Oh, Grant, I love sports. I play sports, but that wasn't the forefront of my brain. Like I had a, I also had a degree just in case my legs didn't work. You know what I mean? So it's just a matter of understanding you have to have choices. And honestly speaking, a free choice is education. And in our community, that's not the one that we present. Most of our times, we present the TV land, the the education land. I mean, the the the, the modern things, the the the, the actors, the, the rappers. The, I'm not frowning upon. I'm not saying none of those things aren't things that you could do. One, most of the people that are really and truly successful in the in those industries are educated people. So I think understanding one, it should be more presented as like, oh man, you should be educated. Not just to say like, oh, I can read everything that's in this book. No, you should know what's happening around you. You should know that basically, okay, this is one thing that I, I, I really want people to understand. When you're, prime example for voting this year, right? Students didn't really and truly know that the word prohibited and what the word prohibit means. 
So if you if you're voting and you're voting and you don't know and truly like if your mindset can't read beyond eighth grade, or you you can't comprehend what you're actually reading on paper. You don't know what you're writing or reading. So one us as a people, we saying that oh we don't want to or we don't like to or this is not what we do. No, it should be what we do so we can understand and understand how to function and realize what's happening around the world itself. I just think we as a people one should just really and truly just pick up a book, count some numbers, and realize like hey. Education is one of those things that you absolutely need to one function in life itself. I think you need it. I don't think it's I don't think it's highlighted in our world at all. And reading is in our DNA. Being educated Great. and not being knowledge holders and knowledge sharers is in our DNA. My grandmother on my dad's side was probably like the biggest biggest advocate for reading ever. From preschool, she realized like I went to preschool. I was in school first. That's forever. When I was a kid, she started every sign I passed, billboard, read it, magazine, read it. My great-grandfather, I seen this man wake up every morning, read the whole newspaper. He would not move from that spot and see read the whole newspaper. So me growing up and seeing this, I'm like, everybody reading it. I got whoopings for not reading. I'm like, so I got to know how to read. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's, oh, read. So from there, understanding that and then like realizing how much your mind can also grow and expand from reading itself. It's just like, why not read, you know? And then also on top of that, not knowing how to count, ooh, the whole nother dude, you're getting played on your money. Like, you know, so it just, I've seen, it's so funny, like, the year before last, I I kind of like helped some people with the checks. They didn't realize like, oh, you're getting, they're actually not paying you enough. They actually are still owe you a check. They were like, what? How you know that? You you sign for this based on tax. You got this, and you still owe this. How did I, I didn't I didn't even know that because you didn't count that correctly. It's just a matter of like knowing those two factors in life. I think one we just need to highlight that a little, a little bit more. We'll be better. We'll understand a little bit more, and I think one we will function a lot better too. Shout out to your grandparents, man, and read, and then shout out to that accounting degree because you got to count, read, and count. So read knowing that reading and counting are critical as opposed to like test scores and numbers and you know standardized testing are schools designed for children of color depending on the school it could be designed designed for uh, children of color i think like in certain situations i don't think that it is ever really truly like the four the first seat for children of color i think you can take second and third seat i don't think it's the first seat and i'm going to explain why i say that just because one I think they they say school we want you to learn it, but then it don't give you all the resources that you could possibly be the best engine, the best student you could be. Prime example, right? If you compare one of your highly recommended schools to like one of your state schools who don't have the same exact resources, but those students are expected to apply for that same exact job, they're not going to have the same exact mindset. They're not going to be able to have the same resources or the same backgrounds because one, they just don't have the same exact thing. So I think like. From that seat, I think it's just always going to be a challenge. I don't think that we'll have actual seat in it until, like, we decide to say, hey, like, this is how we want it. This is the education that you need to know. And this is the seat that we're going to move in. And I, I think that happens when we take our own schools. And that goes that goes back to us also being educated. That goes back to parents also being educated. And I think that's a big factor. Parents aren't, parents aren't educated, so then kids aren't educated. And then those kids are then having kids who are then aren't they they not gonna be educated either. So it's just a re- repeated cycle over and over of un- educated 
black people. So let's talk about generational cycles and breaking them. We know the impact that you have made on students, but as a black man in the classroom that's worn so many hats, what impact have you had on parents? My goal, and I tell you my goal is, my, my goal is to get a parent and a kid a year. And I think, like, yes, I in in my seat, I have a hundred, this year I have 127 seniors. Now, granted, that's a lot of seniors for one person, but at the same time, out of that 127, I know I'm not going to grab all of them. But my realistic goal, and I say my realistic goal since I started in education, is to grab one. If I can grab one parent, one student, I think that I've done my job just because that one parent, that one student is then going to tell somebody else. So it's just like calculating. One plus one is going to be two. And two plus two is four. It's just a simple math. You know what I mean? So it's just a simple fact of if I can get one, I'm more than likely getting more than one, but my goal is just to get one. And I've been getting one a year, so it's just been helping because one, I think parents listen to me, but then they also move on into it. And I think like, that seat, I think, is good just because they know I had it. Their interest, their best interest at heart, as well as the child. So I think they listen it, and and when we bump heads, they we bump heads, and I don't mind having a seat and talking about me. How have you grown since you began your career in education? I would say my I've grown a lot since I've got in education, just because I realized that one, the students I serve pay attention to everything that I'm not paying attention to. Um, and I think my first year of education, I've realized, like, I grew up from, I would say, young Woody to the man Woody in that first, within that first year, just because the young men that I was developing literally did everything that I was doing. And that wasn't, like, the stuff that I was doing in the classrooms, like, the kids that I was coaching, as well as, like, teaching, that spent the most time with me, they started, like, picking up the way I walked, picking up my slang, picking up, the, like, my small equilibrium. So it's just, like, all of those things that made me realize, like, oh, Woodrow, regardless of your seat or whatever you think you are, you have to remember that you are, you, you are a representation of something that somebody is also following that lead. So from there, I just took a different role and I realized, hey, bro, grow up, somebody's following the project. What challenges have you grown through? I've grown through one being, I was, I resigned from my first, my first job just because I just, it was just a lot. One being young, as well as trying to help it just it sucks when people just not in your don't see like what you're trying to do, and and then you almost have to like take the the back seat and it it hurts and it sucks. I think the the growing pain from that would be just like one when you know for a fact is is a horrible situation, and you leave in that situation. It's like man, you don't really want to leave it, but you know you have to leave it, and it's just like you watching it just like fall down. And like, I think that I, I struggle with that. Just like, I don't, I don't like to see something fall and then I was there while it was falling in that same process. I'd much rather fall with it rather than watch it fall by itself. And I think like me resigning from that position, I kind of watched it fall from if that makes more sense rather than also falling with it. What advice do you have for first year educators? I would say my first, my advice for first year educators is to ask every hard question. Never stop asking questions. It's no stupid question. Honestly, literally, it's no stupid question. And you should ask every question to every person that you think you should ask. And that's people that don't want to talk to you. That's people that you want to talk to them. And that's people in every position. Just because I think when you in your first year, you don't know the cap and you don't know really and truly your role. And I don't think it's really and truly explained to you because your role as a teacher, you play mom, you play dad, you play brother, you play sister, you play best friend, you play enemy. 
cousin, uncle. You play all of you wear all of those hats, mentor, advisor, teacher, coach. You play all of those hats in a day. Just having that on your mindset coming in that you are about to play this role all day long will help you out. Just knowing like be be ready for to wear every hat. You're gonna teach a kid in every every form of way you're gonna possibly think. You're gonna run your brain around every idea, every misconception, every thought, every pattern, every routine that you could possibly think. Literally ask questions, be a sponge. Somebody's gonna say something that is going to land. It is okay if somebody tells you they're gonna give you some bad advice. You're gonna hear some bad advice. You're gonna hear some bad feedback. Hear it. Don't if they don't. If you doesn't need. If you don't need to let it process too long, let it bounce on your head and let it right bounce right back off and keep moving. The only thing I would say is literally big, 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 big headline. Ask as many questions as possible. Ask every hard question. Ask as many ask questions every, as possible. Ask every hard question. I love when this it. kid curses me out, how am I supposed to respond and how am I supposed to teach them right back in the next five minutes? That is a, that's what you need to know because there's going to be somebody who's going to have a bad day. It's going to be somebody who's having a great day in the same class. Somebody's going to irritate you. You still have to teach everybody in that space with the same exact education that they came to learn. So how do you, how do you, fit, how do you process that? Ask questions. Ask them. Somebody's going to teach you something to do. Somebody. Ask questions. And when you said about feedback, I love feedback. And feedback can be a trigger word for some people. The way that one of my friends, Roxy, explained it is like feedback is like a chicken wing. You eat the meat and you throw away the bones. Like the stuff Mm -hmm. that is relevant to you that you really know you can grow from, you take that. But if somebody caught you on a bad day, they they observed a bad class, it was a bad, it, it wasn't your best, you don't have to necessarily receive that. You know, it was what it was. Take that away. And also, wings mm-hmm. come in different flavors. There are some people that go give you a sweet, but it's delicious. It tastes good. You, mm-hmm. It feels good. But there are some that are spicy and hot. Mm-hmm. And some people only mm-hmm. give hot wings. They don't mm-hmm. care enough or they don't know how to sweeten it. The feedback mm-hmm. is still the feedback. You still got to grow. Exactly. And I think feedback is one of those things that people don't, people, That's I think that's a trait with like, being educated as well as like in life itself, I think people have a hard thing with receiving feedback and criticism. Like I think it's a good thing depending on how you receive it. It's a good thing how you receive it. If you're not in a state to receive it, then don't receive it. Move on. You know, one of my coaches, Coach Hart, was a great. I think I've learned how to receive feedback from Coach Hart from Baylor. He said, "Wait, when you don't like it and you don't want to hear it anymore, just walk, move on." And then if they call you, just act like as if you didn't hear them. And when you when they send you a text or a call, oh, I didn't even hear you. I was my mind was in a different place. And honestly speaking, you know, you have your twenty four hour depending on where you work. You may have your twenty four hour window, your forty eight hour window, to then close the loop. Close your loop. Take time take to close time. your loop. Yep. Yes. Yep. Take time to close your loop. That's all you need to do. There's nothing wrong with walking away and taking time. That don't mean, like, just leave every convo. Exactly. But it means, exactly. like, if you need a moment, if you need a few moments, it's okay. I'm going to receive that, yeah. too. Because, you know, growing up, that, that was not something that was ever... Sh- you know, you got to answer right now. You got to have a response right now. Like, you know what? Let's table this. I'll get back to you. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. You share so much advice and wisdom. One more question I got to ask you before we close out. Self-care for you, because you wear so many hats, because we know that you have dealt with stress, you have seen stress, you've overcome these moments. How do you take care of yourself and feed your spirit? I would say the way I take care of myself and feed my spirit is literally disconnecting. And I think like that's a hard thing for people to do too. And I think my boss now he also he, he says that he, he says it's, it's funny because at work literally I'm teacher Woody, but it's funny because this life now I've always lived this life that you I'm bring, I'm living currently, right based on this TV platform. But I've always switched. You just gotta learn. I I know how to take turn the switch on and off. Like so, I come to work, I'm work Woody. When I am off, I am off. My work computer is closed. When I want to go and have a drink with my friends, I'm going to have a drink with my friends. If I want to go and travel and take me on a trip, I'm going to take my PTO days. When I, I'm literally, when I'm off, I am off. And I don't care who really truly gets offended or hurt, upset about that, because my time is my time. Leisure time is your time. So I really and truly love leisure time. I learned about that in college, too. Another upper level elective class that was great. Leisure time, right? Leisure time. People don't take advantage of their leisure time. People be thinking, oh, I'm just going to take a nap. That's not leisure time. Leisure time is the time that you are literally, that is mentally relaxing, calming, you putting you in a good space, state, you know. That is what I love to check in. So I go through two, two spots. My leisure time and the work at. That's it. Come on, leisure time. Thank you so much for sharing your story and sharing these pieces of wisdom. You've named quite a few educators as well as your grandparents that put the love of reading into you. Are there any Black educators that you would like to thank or shout out at this moment? I would say Black educators that I would like to just shout out. Ms. Ozo, Ms. Heimel. <laughs> Ms. Heimel. Ooh, Ms. Thompson, Miss Thompson is dope. Miss Fooster, Miss Fooster, and Dr. Taylor. Dr. Taylor, I would say, was lastly, Dr. Taylor was what well, he was a sophomore advisor in high school, but he was over the group uh, I was in called Youth. Dope. It's like basically like a fraternity in high school, but it's like literally had Alpha, Omega, Sigma, and then Kappa. I mean, that was all over the over the over the, over the organization in high school, and they taught us literally everything that you should know. And presenting like we went travel to the colleges and then going like different games and like learning how to put on a tie and wearing jackets and stuff like that. Like Dr. Taylor was the guy. He was the guy, and he was from New Orleans, and he was in Georgia. You know, it was. I was like, man, this is a good plug. You know, you learn some stuff from some people. Dr. Taylor was probably like number one guy. I've learned something from him. Thank you for coming and sharing your story and walking us through it all and for your impact that you are having on everybody. For those who want to follow you, where can people connect with you online? You can follow me at on Instagram at Mr. Above, on YouTube at The Roundaway, and I'll follow you. That's it. I ain't got too many. But on Twitter, you can hit me up, Mr. Above. All, all social media is, is Mr. Above. And then also, if you really and truly want to, advance your brain and atmosphere and life itself uh, go to pill city follow the pill city page that is where you go so follow your boy 
Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for everything. Um, everything that you've done, it was, it is, and it always will be worth it. So thank you, Mr. Randall. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Black Educators Matter. Are you ready to share your story? Visit us online at www.blackeducatorsmatter.org to sign up. Remember, make excellence equitable and thank a black teacher today.